0: Welcome to Behind the Deal, where you get the inside scoop on the wealth management industry's merger and acquisition activity, straight from some of the top dealmakers in the business. In episode five, we're doing a deep dive on the key findings from Echelon's new Q2 deal report with my colleague, Echelon's Carolyn Armitage. Welcome to Behind the Deal, episode five. This is technically the friends and family edition. I am delighted to have one of my favorite people, Caroline Armitage, a colleague and managing director at Echelon Partners join me today so we can do a deep dive into the just released Echelon Q2 RIA M&A deal report. There's so much to get into here and so much for us to discuss in more detail. Uh, So, Caroline, thank you very much for jumping on and doing, I wouldn't quite call it an emergency podcast here, uh, but for doing a spot podcast so we can go deeper on some of the key findings. Pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: So before Karen asks you just to go behind the numbers in a little bit more details or beyond the numbers, I should say, I do just want to tee up some of the key findings that came out of this quarter's report. We have gotten a lot of interest from a lot of different types of individuals and companies throughout the RA ecosystem based on some of our findings. And I think some of the most interesting data you know, that we saw this quarter uh, really comes down to two or three key categories. Um, The first thing we obviously saw that there was a decline in activity. We tracked 35 deals in the wealth management space in the second quarter, which it was a drop off about 20% or so from the first quarter when we tracked 46 deals. Um, With that, you know, we expected that there would be a slowdown. I'm sure we'll talk about that in more detail. But there was an interesting development where we also saw at the same time that, there were a number of very large deals that took place during the quarter. Specifically of the 35 deals, 16, so almost half of the deals, involved the acquisition of a target that had over a billion dollars in assets under management. Um, And in fact, the average firm that's been acquired this year has had about $1.5 billion in assets under management, um, which is the largest average we've recorded in the history of the Echelon deal report, which goes back to at least 2014. Um, so slow down in the beginning of the quarter in activity, but also a very you know, significant increase in the size of the firms that have been d- doing deals in the second quarter and in 2020 in general. Um, so, Karen, let's start there. I think that's important. We'd love to put a little bit more context behind that. So in your view, I just laid out what the numbers are, but what drove the overall activity in the second quarter? And that would include both the size of the deals and also the slowdown in activities.
1: Yeah, terrific opening. Thank you, Mark. Um, So, due to the crazy COVID correction that we all experienced in March, most folks did expect a decline in transactions in the second quarter. However, we really expected to see both an increase in deal size as well as the decrease in the number of transactions. We observed a variety of reactions at Echelon Partners from both sellers and buyers. Some needed a temporary pause in the process and others really wanted to accelerate their deal-making activity. We then experienced an uptick in interest from firms looking to sell as they really didn't want to endure another recession alone. Uh, What I think is important to take away from the first half of 2020, at least from a deal-making perspective, is that deals did not fall apart. Yes, discussions were delayed, yet experienced buyers realized the market downturn was likely temporary, and they tried to utilize it to their advantage and gain negotiating leverage. As we saw a rebound in the increase in the number of deals in June, we fully expect the deals that were paused during the first half of the year will likely close in the third and fourth quarter, with the notion that the number of deals in 2020 may even surpass our or exceed our estimates. Regarding your second question regarding the deal size, as often seen during these market disruptions and expected again this time, larger firms keep getting larger. There are plenty of opportunities to secure synergy and add better economies of scale to organizations and capitalize on the often dramatic multiple arbitrage opportunities that exist within wealth management. Larger firms with dedicated leadership, corporate development, and onboarding teams are continuing their consolidation efforts. These well-established businesses and buyers are willing to look past the current economic downturn for their vision of the future growth potential that a business has. And quite frankly, these larger firms have these dedicated teams focused exclusively on M&A, whereas smaller firms are forced to dedicate more of their resources to managing clients and their employees and the overall operations of the business during this COVID crisis. So it's very natural for larger firms to be doing larger deal sizes.
0: Yeah, and I think you made a lot of excellent points there. One thing that I would pick up on too, you mentioned just how transactions accelerated in June. Um, The deal report mentions this. We saw just as many deals roughly in the last 10 days of June as we did in almost all of April, right? So that does speak very directly to that COVID shock. Um, that a lot of people, and Carolyn, you touched on as well. I think the other interesting development, especially when you're looking at not just the transactions, but the size, uh, we actually called out in a spotlight section of this quarter's deal report a a little bit of a highlight on the minority acquisitions. Um, There were, compared to other quarters, a number of minority stakes that were taken in very large companies in many cases. Um, and this seems to be something that ha- has increased steadily over time. About twenty percent of the deals in the second quarter involved minority stake acquisition, um, and that's the largest we've ever seen. So, Count, know, just from your point of view, why has the minority stake? Why has the minority acquisition become such a significant part of some of the most recent activity?
1: Yeah, thank you, Mark. This has been a great highlight in the deal report this quarter, and. As you mentioned, it's it's really unprecedented. There's a number of reasons listed in the deal report, and we don't have time to go into all of them. So I'll touch on two of the issues that we hear quite often from folks that reach out to us. Our industry in the financial services sector is relatively young compared to other industries and predominantly Firms are still owned by the original entrepreneur founder of the business. What that means is it's very emotionally difficult to make the decision to sell your firm, which often has the name on the door, right? So, additionally, wealth management comes with terrific financial and intrinsic rewards where it can be very challenging for these entrepreneur, founders, to imagine doing anything else with their life, or what I like to call their 2.0. So when you sell a minority interest in your firm, it's a terrific way to be able to try on what that 2.0 might look like. You're not committing so much to your retirement, yet you do commit to work with somebody else, a new group of people who have their own ideas for improvement and the energy and enthusiasm to implement them. So I think that's one of the driving forces. Um, Another one is uh, where many firms who aren't ready, where the owners aren't ready to retire, are seeking partners to help them grow beyond the valley of doom, as we call it. This is where a firm starts to be crushed by all the weight of its own success, in business development and is in need of resources to either hire the top talent and build out a better more sustainable infrastructure or they can partner with a firm who already has those teams and those established systems so it's important for our listeners to remember that while this year has been fraught with rampant unemployment throughout the country the Wealth management industry actually has a talent shortage, especially in the C-suite. Thus, we've seen an uptick in firms desiring to overhaul their compensation packages, including their incentives they offer their employees, and offer for the first time equity sharing to be able to attract and retain the best and brightest superstars our industry has to offer. So for the sake of time, I'll stop right there. Um, Yet I encourage our listeners to read through the deal report with the number of other reasons why minority interest can be very beneficial for entrepreneurs.
0: I think you touched on two of the most important drivers that were included in the deal report. We had a total of nine, um, and we'll make sure that, obviously, it, it would, we'll get the deal report to everybody who's listening to this podcast. But you know, this movement toward minority acquisition is definitely something that has you know, jumped off of the spreadsheet when we were doing some of the analysis here. Uh, throughout the first half of the year, there were 13 minority stakes that were acquired, you know, compared to just four in the first half of 2019. Um, so you know, again, 20% of the transactions we saw in the second quarter but really growing at a very significant clip and notably at a time that transaction volume was down. Um, so thank you for adding a little bit of color there. I appreciate that. Uh, one other thing that I think is really important for us to get into detail on, um, we get asked this all the time. Um, and in the deal report, we don't track valuation. Obviously it's not very frequently disclosed, um, what the acquisition pricing is, but curious, what are some of the things that you've observed during the you know, second quarter, and how did and how are valuations holding up in the wealth management industry in general?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Thank you, Mark. Um, and certainly, Echelon is the leader in valuation services for RAs in the marketplace. The two main drivers of valuation are the growth and scale of those organizations. And the wealth management industry has three very solid foundational fundamentals that are helping to advance those drivers. The first one being the need for scale and sustainability of businesses. As a business owner, we all know the cost to do business continues to rise. Firms need these efficient operational processes in order to have that. You need amazing infrastructure and technology and tools and that technology cost. While there's a plethora of tools available and new tools coming to the marketplace each and every year, there's a tremendous cost to implement or establish those systems in your office. And then you need to, budget for the upgrades and integration of those tools with your other systems. And then once, as you're implementing those, of course, you've got to make sure they're secure and safeguarded against any cyber attacks. And there's regulatory changes that happen quite often, compliance controls that need to be integrated. And so it's a large undertaking that is becoming a larger and larger portion of firms' budgets each and every year. And so these larger organizations have more efficient buying power and can more easily implement the upgrades and make the changes that are needed in these tremendous tools that help you leverage your business and allow you to serve even more clients in the marketplace. And then we touched on it briefly um, a minute ago about the need to attract and retain the best talent. Uh, we're seeing firms compete more and more often on specialization of certain niches and talent. And so you oftentimes need this scale to be able to afford a specialist as opposed to a generalist. And the requirement for the level of service and expectations keep increasing from clients. So ensuring you've got improving customer service, and operations teams are super important, and scale certainly helps you fulfill all of those. And then the last one on scale and sustainability is the increase in spending that we've seen on marketing. With the advent of social media over the last decade, it's not just an, a nice-to-have an online presence. It's really table stakes to have a robust online footprint for firms positioning and branding in the marketplace and to be able to continually refresh that content. Several small organizations doing this on their own is terribly inefficient from a financial and time use perspective. When these advisors come together for a common purpose and you can share that infrastructure, it just makes tremendous scale. The second fundamental that I would mention is the intersection of demographics that we're in. And what I mean by that is financial advisors are aging, right, as are their clients. And over the next decade, there's going to be a tremendous amount of transition that financial advisors and their clients go through as wealth changes hands. Clients are in need of financial planning more than ever before. And really we kind of call this component that M&A is being in season right now because advisors will be transitioning, clients will be transitioning, and money in motion is a tremendous opportunity for you to advance your firm. And then the third element would be the historic highs and lows that our industry is operating in. We have historic low interest rates, and that forecast is expected for several years out, um, at least five years, maybe 10. We're at historic highs for the options of available source of funds that you can use either for acquisitions or to fuel your growth. And we all know we were at a market high, really at the start of 2020, and while we had experienced a big tumble back in March, things have rebounded quite nicely for the middle of the year. And if you take a look at where we were last year at this time, values are often either flat or up, sometimes double digits, for a majority of portfolios out there. So, wealth management firm valuations are really a function of EBITDA, or earnings before income taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and the quality of those earnings. And Mark, you know this, we are very blessed to be in the wealth management business right now. We're able to help people as they're transitioning careers to take care of their loved ones and make the challenging decisions that they need to make. So wealth managers are really appropriately positioned to be that calming advisor that clients need right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's an excellent analysis of where we are as far as valuation goes. And I think I mentioned earlier obviously that valuations aren't necessarily always disclosed. What's interesting though, and you know, the deal report we just pulled out two of the larger deals specifically that took place during the quarter. Um, and we had a, a glimpse really through empower and their acquisition of personal capital. Uh, personal capital which manages about 12 billion in assets under management, the deal values them up to about a billion dollars. Um, and earlier in the quarter you know, we saw cap trust, one of the largest companies in the space manages 45 billion in assets. You know, G- GTCR took a 25% stake in cap trust. Which valued Cap Trust at around 1.25 billion, right? Um, so, you know, those are two, just two examples, but two really good examples of what high quality and innovative <laughs> companies are you know, being valued at right now. Um, so, you know, thank you for just putting some context behind it because that's an area where obviously we specialize, but tend to get the most questions. Um, yeah, you know, before we wrap up, you know, of course the the deal report is backwards looking, right? Um, what everybody asks us now is what does the future hold, right? Um, so I'm curious just to get your take on, based on what we've seen so far, based on what's in the pipeline and the conversations that you're having, Carolyn, how do you think m activity will pace in the second half of the year? Um, and are there certain areas where you would expect to see deals accelerate uh, or perhaps even decline? Hmm.
1: Yeah, inter- interesting question. Thank you. So, we've touched on that larger buyers are with the devoted deal teams are likely to remain very committed to deal making and they're in a strong capital position to do so. The smaller and medium-sized RIAs where a lead advisor is also the executive running the organization and the deal maker for the firm, they're likely to be too busy working in the business to really be able to devote the time necessary for dealmaking this year. The PE firms, the PE-backed firms will still need to do deals this year, and they're going to push hard to maintain their higher deal volumes That should bode very well for sellers, right? So the more competitive marketplace we have, oftentimes we can get even more attractive deal structures for financial advisors. One interesting theme that um, I briefly touched on earlier is that there really are incredible signs of a meaningful uptick in advisors willing to sell. And this was a bit of a surprise. Obviously, you think the market pulls back, sellers retreat, and that didn't happen this year. Um, Over the years, advisors have been known to delay the decision to sell their business and the related succession planning that goes with that, instead opting for another year of cash flow and continuity of the growth of that flow But how long can this really go on Um, as advisors are aging? They're getting older. Naturally, they may have less energy, have some health issues. And at the same time, their businesses are requiring more and more time and resources to operate. So, you know, one could consider it may be feasible that in 2020, 2020 may really be a dark horse and surprise us all with another upturn in deal volume for this year. Regarding your second question, um, I think there's two components that I would love to touch on um, that folks need to be aware of. Um, the first one being mergers. Mergers is one of those, while it's the M in MA, it's really an under-discussed topic and it's underutilized by advisors, quite frankly, perhaps because of their inherent fiercely independent entrepreneurial spirit, thinking that they may not want to partner with another. In reality, firms can come together and gain the benefit of larger organizations through mergers or an exchange of their stock instead of cash Oftentimes, when we do these, there's tremendous opportunities for revenue synergies beyond the obvious cost savings um, or expense synergies, as it's called. And there's also the opportunity for the multiple arbitrage as these two firms, or sometimes three or four, come together and form a larger organization. Now, of course, there's a number of qualitative and quantitative elements that will determine how well these firms will operate together and what synergies may truly materialize. It would really be prudent though, for owners to consider merging as a viable option for them. At Ashland, we have a very proven process that we go through helping to prepare the firms to ensure the success of the merger long before our deals are consummated. So, If you're an owner and kind of struggling with your infrastructure or wondering what your next phase will look like, maybe maybe consider a merger over the next uh, several periods. The second element I think is important to mention is the breakaway movement. Obviously, this has been going on for years. It really is the ideal time to become a breakaway advisor from a warehouse. With solid valuations and the ease of conversion at an all time high, more and more wirehouse advisors will be making the transition to an RIA and in the process gain access and ownership in a tremendous business model that is in season right now, unlike the wirehouse model.
0: Yeah, I think. Now that we're already officially in the second half of the year, um, a lot of what you've just talked about is already starting to show signs of life. Um, And I love your comment about could 2020 be a dark horse? You know, we'll see. Uh, But there has been a lot of early and encouraging activity, even just this week. Um, And today, specifically, we saw Mercer announce that they bought Mm -hmm. or will buy a firm about 900 in million in assets under management. Uh, There was another acquisition announced earlier today, Formula Folio and Brookstone, right? They'll merge, just as you were pointing out, uh, form a six and a half billion dollar RIA firm. So quite a bit of activity already. Um, And I should also mention Kudu, right? And the stake that they're taking in Sequoia, a $4.7 billion firm. Um, So just about everything that you've touched on, we've already seen in the first, let's call it six or seven days, (laughs) Of uh, the second half of 2020 already. So, you know, thank you for offering a, a little bit of a glimpse in, into the future and for putting some color uh, behind the numbers that we have here in the deal report. We'll have to have you back in Q3 at the end of uh, Q2, uh, the Q3 to, to do a wrap up and a review, of course, whenever we do forecasts and you know, mid-year outlooks. Nobody ever wants to look backwards, right? But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll come back and, and, and grade your predictions in uh, you know, late September, early October. How does that sound?
1: Fair enough. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Carolyn, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out, like I said, to add some color, go beyond the numbers, right, that are in the deal report, um, and offer really your perspective and your direct experience working with a lot of these types of firms that are evaluating merger acquisition and breakaway succession opportunities right now. Um, so, Carolyn, thank you very much. Again, for the listeners out there, our Q2 deal report is now live at echelon-partners.com right on our homepage. We'll make sure if anybody has any issues accessing it or needs any additional information above and beyond what is in the deal report, um, we are happy to have some you know, discussions offline. So uh, on behalf of the Echelon Partners team, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, episode five of Behind the Deal. And we look forward to talking with you all again very soon. So, Karen, thank you again. Appreciate it. Talk to you in episode six.
1: Terrific. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, folks.